All right. Well, thank you guys for worshiping. It's it's so um, so strange, you know. I'm I'm in a empty, small, empty room by myself. I know that you're there with me singing. Um, the scripture, the Bible says that God in, inhabits the praises of His people. Right. So I can be here, you can be there. God is inhabiting our praise. That's a good word. It's a good word. So um, we do, uh, before we get going, I just want to remind you parents, we love your kids. We care about your kids. I have kids. We need our kids to love Jesus. <laughs> we we got to have our kids love him. And, and we have a responsibility in that. And not only Christ, but God and, and the word of God. And so we have resources for you. Um, this is the story of J- Jacob wrestling the angel, Jacob wrestling God. Uh, if you click the link there, you're going to see worship songs. I love the worship songs that we have because it's just singing the scripture for the kids. It's 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 awesome. And then we have this video for them, then activity pages. So uh, definitely use that. Um, you can set it up now to get the kids out of your hair if you want, um, or you can do it after the message. But don't don't forget about about that. All right. Well, we are working through, pushing through the book of Acts. Uh, we started Acts last July. Uh, there have been some bumps in the roads. We've taken some breaks here and there to do other things. But now we have finally made it to verse, uh, sorry, chapter 20 out of 28 chapters. Um, so we are in the 20s, and we are, uh, we're getting there. We're, we're really, really close. Um, but today we're continuing in our book, uh, the book of Acts, we're going to be Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 12. And today, uh, we are going to talk about something that you are familiar with, but something you probably haven't thought a whole lot about. And yet, this thing is very important, and so very important to your life, to the point that the presence or the absence of this thing has more than likely impacted who you are and where you are today. Today we're going to talk about encouragement. Talk about encouragement. What encouragement looks like, what encouragement is. We've all been encouraged, and no doubt we have encouraged other people, but have we considered the concept and the practice of encouragement? For myself, I owe my marriage to Encouragement. I'm not sure if Hannah even knows this story, but I met Hannah in the um, the middle of the Maine woods in Farmington, Maine, at a Christian retreat. And um, after the retreat, she had friended me on Facebook. I thought she, that meant she was interested. Um, turns out she just added everyone she met on on Facebook. Um, but whatever. Anyway, so I, I was in my office. I was a pastor at a church in Augusta um, and shared an office with the, with the head pastor. Um, and I was talking to Dan, the pastor, about this girl that I met and, uh, and that she friended me on Facebook. And that was very interesting. And so I, I was, would mention I might message her just to connect. And I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And Dan said, no, just go ahead and do it. Messenger, send her the message. Just say hello. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, no, go ahead and do it. He kept encouraging me to send a message, say hello, and I did. And um, next thing you know, I'm talking to you through my cell phone, right? So so thing, things change whenever people are encouraged, and you have no idea how they 
might be changed for the good, in my situation for the good, but also for the bad. Encouragement is a important tool that affects the trajectory of our lives, whether we have good influences encouraging us or bad influences encouraging us. It works all the same. Encouragement and encouragers push us towards a specific goal. <clears throat> Today, as we continue in the book of Acts, we're going to see how important this practice of encouragement was to the Apostle Paul and the role that it played in the early church. Specifically, what we're going to see is that encouragement happens through three avenues or, or three ways in our text that encouragement happens. The first way it happens is through people getting together. Encouragement happens through people getting together. The second thing is encouragement happens through giving. And then finally, encouragement happens through the corporate gathering. So the three G's of encouragement, getting together, giving, and gathering. So what we're going to do today is we're going to work through our text, Acts 20, verses 1 to 12. We're going to read it right now, the whole thing, and then we're going to dive in. This is what it says, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. <clears throat> so Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, when we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. You thought, I, you thought I'd preach for a long time. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story, was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he says, Do not be alarmed, for his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up, and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. So what we see here is a continuation from, as far as the story last week, Paul was in Ephesus, he's trying to get to Jerusalem, the riot that we saw last week is ended, and now he's making his rounds through the rest of the Gentile world before heading to Jerusalem. Just to give a little context, I'm going to show here a little map so we know what's going on. We've already been given sort of the trajectory, the travel plan in Acts 19, verse 21. It says, before the events in Ephesus, the riot, if you remember from last week, that took place, Paul had a plan. And this is his plan, verse 21. It says, now after these things, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. So Paul's plan... What we see here is to go to the other churches that he's planted and then eventually get to Jerusalem. And so 
This is a picture, a map of what's going on. Ephesus, the circle in the middle, is where Paul is. And then at the bottom, it says Tyre, and underneath that is Jerusalem. That's where Paul wants to be. But in the upper left, that's where Paul actually goes. So instead of going straight down to Jerusalem, what our text in Acts 20, verses 1 to 12 is uh, describing is Paul leaving Ephesus and going to all of these churches up in Philadelphia, sorry, in Philippi, in Macedonia, and Achaia. Before he goes to Jerusalem, he's visiting all these other churches specifically, specifically to encourage them. Think about this. Paul's plan is just to go down south. That's where he wants to be. But he intentionally leaves Ephesus and goes all the way up, all the way up here, you can see it, all the way up and down to visit churches for the purpose of encouragement. I don't know if you have ever decided in your heart that you wanted to encourage someone so much that you were willing to travel for a year all across the country or countries or area or wherever to encourage them. This is an example that we see from the Apostle Paul. He starts churches, but he does not leave those churches. He always returns to encourage them at great expense and at great strain and at great physical toll and mental and uh, sort of time toll on himself. Leaving Ephesus, wanting to get to the bottom, the bottom uh, right here, but going all over here to encourage the churches. We've seen this before. Acts 14, 22. After he started the churches in Galatia, he's in Galatia, he's trying to get back to Antioch. From Galatia to Antioch is like this, but he decides instead of going this way, he's going to go all the way back through all the other churches he planted and come to Antioch the long way. That's what he says. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He does the same thing. He takes the long road to encourage. Acts 15, 36 and verse 41. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul has such a burden on him to not leave the people that he found, the churches that he founded, hanging, to not leave them, sort of set it and forget it and be done with these people. He doesn't do that, but no, he makes return trips specifically to encourage time and time again. What we see just in establishing the context, the practice of encouragement that Paul initiates and that Paul follows is a consistent and important part of his ministry, going back to every church he started to encourage them. As important as it is for him to preach the gospel, as important as it is for him to go into a new city and proclaim Jesus and evangelize, so it is that much more and, and just as important for him to go back to that city to encourage these people in the faith. So what I'm trying to do now is I just want to get this concept sort of higher up on the list of importance to you. Because we think about encouragement, we think about encouragers, we think about ways we've been encouraged, and I think we can often think about it as an incidental happening. Something that's not pursued, something that just sort of 
comes in our mind and we decide to do it or not do or discourage people. That's not Paul's example. Paul was an intentional encourager. Paul was an extreme encourager. Paul was an avid encourager. And he traveled the world to encourage. And so that brings us to our first point, the first way that we see Paul encouraging and, and what we need to learn from Paul in this, this important practice of encouragement is that Paul encouraged people by getting together with them. The first two encouragement. Paul encouraged people by getting together with them. If we go back to our text, Acts 20, verses 1 to 2, after the uproar had ceased, after the riot had ceased in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, after encouraging the disciples in Ephesus, where he was at, he didn't skip town because of the riot, he stayed and encouraged them. Then it says he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. That's Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those places. When he had gone through those regions, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Greece is Corinth. If you remember the city of Corinth, he does the same thing. So Paul encourages the folks in Ephesus. He then goes and encourages the folks in Macedonia. And then from there, he goes back to, to Corinth, to Greece, and encourages the folks there. Now, this is an interesting time to preach this message, given our current situation. We can't gather. We can't get together, right? We, we, we're not supposed to. Right? We're, we're going to next week, praise the Lord, and I'll talk about more of that later. But it's a particularly strange time because we are a people that gather. The church is a gathering people. Okay, I know we're, we're doing Zoom, and I know we're doing Facebook Live. I know we're doing all of that stuff, but that is not the same thing. And it is not a replacement for the face-to-face gathering of God's people. We have been doing church online, but the truth is you cannot do church online. It is impossible to do church online. We use the vernacular, we use the lingo, because it kind of gets the point across that I'm going to be preaching, and you can tune in. But... You cannot do that because the church is a gathered people. The church is a gathered people, and you cannot encourage people to godliness, to Christ, to Jesus, truly, without getting together with them on a consistent, regular basis. This is the truth for Paul, for the church in Thessalonia. If you remember, in Thessalonia, Paul was driven out of town. He started the church, he had more ministry, but there was a violent mob that, that pulled him out of the town and made him run away, and he ran away to Berea. Well, this is what Paul says to the church in Thessalonia. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul is using his modern-day equivalent of Zoom for the Thessalonians right now. He's writing a letter, right? He's writing a letter. That's his modern-day Zoom equivalent, writing a letter to the Thessalonians. And this letter forms our scripture. So this is a very, very important letter for us. But even Paul says it's not enough. This letter he's writing, that is the literal word of God, is not enough for him. 
to be able to love on and encourage the Thessalonians. Since we were torn away from you for a short time in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I'm writing the letter because I cannot see you face to face. You see the importance of God's people gathering face to face. That even Scripture, at this point, is not enough for Paul. Endeavoring as he is to see this church that he started to give them encouragement. But this desire of face-to-face encouragement isn't just for people that Paul knows, like the Thessalonians. He knows them. He started that church. But also for churches and people he doesn't know. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, a church he's never visited. He does know some people there, but he did not start this church. He is unfamiliar with this church, and yet he says the same thing. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul is still longing. He understands that encouragement and encouraging and pushing people for growth in Jesus and just the well-being of our souls is found with gathering and getting together face-to-face with people. Whenever it comes to encouragement, there really is no replacement for spending time face-to-face with each other. You can listen to a message online, a sermon online. We've been doing that, and that's fine. I encourage you to. You can watch and worship through music online, through watching a worship team or worship band or, or worship lyric videos online. But real encouragement in real life in the body of Christ does not happen and cannot happen through these avenues. It only happens with people. Because real encouragement only happens whenever people know you. Whenever they really, really know you. The pastor on the TV does not know you. The worship team on the screen does not know you. Real encouragement comes whenever people know you face to face. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I want to say it. I have a discomfort <coughs> with the notion of a consistent online church or an online service as if that is a legitimate practice of the church. It is something we do whenever we need to, some, a tool that we can use, but it is not church. I've already said this. But you cannot do church just online. You can't. That's not how it works. It's not what the Bible says. Because you have to be together with people. Hebrews 3, 12-13 tells us why. tells us why we can't do this online life or this non-face-to-face life. It says, take care, brothers. Take care. So be on the lookout here. There's something coming you need to be aware of. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So take care because there's a threat that our hearts can be turned to be evil and unbelieving that then, it says, leading you to fall away from the living God. The fight against that, the solution here is this. But exhort one another every day. Encourage. That's the same 
idea. As long as called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What I have found is that isolation, isolation leads to stagnation, okay? In your faith, in your sins. It leads to, to sitting down deeper in, in the sins of your heart. Darkness sort of encroaching little by little, bit by bit. The isolation from the body does that, okay? And then it grows, and it grows. And stagnation leads to unfruitfulness, okay? And then you're not getting anywhere. And then eventually, the more you isolate, the more you're not with people, the people of God, the church, you're ultimately alienated. You're ultimately just gone. You're not even there anymore. And the danger is that you don't have the exhortation, the encouragement that you need for the deceitfulness of sin that comes and hardens your heart. And, and that hardness of heart, that word is important because it, it, that's not just like you're, you're in sin. It's that you are petrified, like, like wood. You, you, are, you are sort of caught in that sin to where it's not coming out anymore. It's there. It's lodged. It is hardened into you. Hardened into you. And you're stuck and you're alienated. And coming back is that much harder. Jesus melts the hardest heart. Jesus melts the coldest, iciest heart. Jesus does away with sin. But if you are broke, if you are away from the body, if you do not come face to face, if you are just gone, they creep in. It creeps in. It's just just how it is. You do not have the encouragement. You're not face to face. Be on the lookout, lest there be in you any unbelieving, evil, hardness of heart through the deceitfulness. That's it. You say, all right, you know, we don't need to get together. All right, I'm fine. I'm going to take a break here. All right, I'm, I'm done. Deceitfulness of sin. You cannot be encouraged. You cannot be exhorted. So I can think of no better example then the Apostle Paul here. He understands that. And so he is going church to church to church, spending his time, putting his neck on the line. Whenever he's trying to get to, to Jerusalem, there's a plot against him. To, they're going to try to take him out. But he endures all those things for the sake of encouragement to the body. And yet for us, there's a disconnect here. There is a huge disconnect here. We often don't receive the encouragement that we need from the body for two reasons. The first is this. this. We don't know each other well enough or open up enough to know how to encourage each other in the first place. We don't actually know each other. And we don't know each other because we don't want to, if we're honest. We don't want to let people in. I don't want you to know this about me. This is my stuff, right? This is personal. These are... These are issues that that are, that are you know sensitive. Right? I don't want you to know me. In our Hebrews text, the encouragement that we see is specifically encouragement against sin. And if I don't know what you struggle with, how am I going to encourage you? How am I going to check in on you? I had the great pleasure this week of spending time with two brothers in the church. And we got to be open with each other. 
We got to be honest with each other. We got to encourage each other away from sin, away from the deceitfulness of sin, away from the the lurking hardness of heart that is coming for each of us. We got to get into the light and let God shine light on the dark things within us. But if, if we don't if we're willing to open up to each other and be real with each other and actually actually act like sin actually is a real thing that we actually deal with and actually struggle with, not just say Jesus saved from our sins, but my actual sins, if we're not then then there's no solution here. This is what it says. First John one six. If we have say we have fellowship with Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you say you know Christ, and yet you are the king of your dark domain, you are a liar. But if we walk in the light, if we bring sins to light, if we expose ourselves to God's people, to the word of God, to the gospel, what does it say? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Where does fellowship happen? In the light. You cannot have fellowship with God's people in darkness. And I'm telling you, if, if we isolate, if we are away, if we harbor it in, if, if we keep it in the darkness, there is no fellowship. We bring it to the light and the blood of Jesus, praise God, cleanses us from all sin. Amen to that. But we got to get together we got to get together and encourage each other. So that's the first thing. We don't know each other well enough to open up enough to encourage each other. The second thing is that we just don't pursue it. We don't pursue the getting together of the church. We don't pursue the face-to-face connection. Paul, willing, in, th- <laughs> in, the, book of Thessal- in the letter of Thessalonians, he got chased out of Thessalonica by a mob, and he... Is trying. He's writing because he wants to go back to the city that he was chased out of to see these people face to face. That's how important it was to him. We, but we don't pursue it. We just have to drive down the road. Literally, we got to drive down the road. We don't pursue it. Uh, I was a small groups pastor at, at KCC uh, in Augusta, the church I was at in Augusta. Had such a hard time to encourage people to spend time together in community. We were a very large church. Probably 20, 25% of the people actually were involved in a, in a small group. And it, it, whenever I say get together, it doesn't have to be a small group. It doesn't have to, it, you, it, get coffee once a week. It doesn't matter, the, 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 the venue or what you call it. But it was so hard to get people to actually engage with each other, for community to actually come. And I get it. Community takes time. It takes effort. It is often inconvenient. If you add kids into the mix, if you have food to bring, it multiplies that. I get it. I've been there. But where there is isolation, there is no encouragement. And, and, and what I have realized is that I have to understand this is important. My heart, I may be tired, it may have been a long week. I get it. This is important. To get together with God's people. Isolation, for me, is such a fearful threat to the church because we are so also prone to do it. It is so easy to isolate. 
it is so easy to just stay home. And again, we're in the COVID thing. We're, I'm not saying go outside. I'm saying in normal times, okay? You know, we, we got to be smart and all, all that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in general, before March, right? You, if you were still dealing with this before March, then, then that's what I'm, I'm talking about. Paul did not stay home. He traveled across highways and oceans to be with people, to encourage them. So let me encourage you to value getting together with God's people. Again, we are opening up our church again soon, next week, next Sunday. I'm going to talk more about that, and there's nuance there that we're going to work through. But I just want to say, value the ability to gather with God's people. Is that important to you? Is that something that that is a priority to you? Because it was a priority to Paul. That's something that we learned here. Encouragement comes from being face-to-face. The second thing we see is that encouragement comes through giving. <clears throat> encouragement comes through giving. and that's We're going to go to the next part, verses 3 to 6. It says, Paul, uh, Paul there, Paul's in Greece. He's in Corinth. Okay, He spent three months there. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And then all these guys are with him. So Peter, uh, Aristarchus, Secundus, all these guys are with them um, on the way to uh, where he's he's going in Macedonia. They went ahead of him at Troas, but then he was at Philippi uh, taking the unleavened bread there. And then he finally gets to Troas. And so what's going on here is Paul is in Corinth. He is trying to go one route. It gets foiled. There's a plot against him. He goes a different route, goes to Macedonia. There's an entire delegation of people with him, and then they all eventually wind up in Troas. So the point here that we're going to see again is that we encourage each other through giving. Now, you might, this is a little harder to see. It's not sort of spelled out here. But what's going on behind the scenes as Paul is visiting all these churches in Macedonia and wherever, is that he is collecting an offering from the churches, the Gentile churches, to give to the church in Jerusalem. So before he goes to Jerusalem, he's visiting all of these churches to get an offering to give to the folks in Jerusalem. Verse 3 tells us he spent three months, and I'm going to explain how we know that. Verse 3 tells us he spent three months in Corinth. During this time that we see, in verse 3, these three months, he writes the book of Romans. He writes this letter to Romans. And if you go to Romans, at the very end of Romans, he tells us uh, what's going on. As he says, at present, so Paul is in Corinth, writing this book to the Romans, and in the book of Romans, he says this, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered them to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So it's kind of cool if you piece it together. Luke doesn't tell us that this is going on, but we know that Paul wrote Romans here, and he mentions all the places in, in this book that he's gone, and he tells us what's actually going on. He's going around to get an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And then from there, he's going to go to Spain and pass pass by Rome on the way. 
And so the list of all the people, Aristarchus and, and Tecundus and all these people listed, these are representatives from the churches, delegates, if you will, that are coming along with Paul to Jerusalem to present this offering to the church. So that's why we see all these people gathered in Troas. And so if we, if we put it all together then, as Paul encourages the churches in, in the Gentile world, in Macedonia and all that, as he encourages these churches face-to-face, he is also securing provisions, encouragement, aid, financial aid, to encourage the mother church in Jerusalem. So this man never stops. As he encourages one church, he is acquiring provision to encourage another church. He's always thinking, right? He's always considering, okay, what, well, I'm, I'm here face-to-face, encourage them, but then I'm getting them in on the action to encourage another church and bring them along. The, he never stops on this encouragement train. So what we see then is that encouragement is more than just words. It's also action. Encouragement is also action. 1 John 3.17, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Whenever we encourage each other by serving each other and providing for each other, we are following this. More than just words, but also in actions, also in deed, also in in finances, in, in, in whatever we have that we can give to help other people along. The way one example is for my life, there's a, a brother in our church. He It was the summer. He was getting ready for winter. Um, his roof was not good. And this guy, did, his family did not have a, a ton of money. They could not afford a roofer to come and roof their house. And so what do we do? We bought a bunch of shingles, and we as a church roofed this guy's house. He didn't pay us, though he paid us in food, and uh, and that was it, right? And so it was actually it was a really fun day, and uh, and and that's what we did. We served we served the guy. We encouraged him. We encouraged him and his family that he was loved, that he was provided for, that he was cared for, that we were there for him, and that's what we do. And so to get this encouragement requires us to put ourselves out there a little bit, both in the ask for the help to put yourself out there or the ask to help to put yourself out there. We are a body as a church. We are here to support each other, whether it be just man man hours or, or, or um, coming around and working on your property. If you have that type of need, um, if, if there's a physical, actual physical need, if, if there's, you know, if there's a financial need, that's what we're here for. We are here to provide for each other. That's the example of in the Acts chapter 2. They sold, in Acts chapter 5, uh, they sold their possessions to provide for each other. That's where, where we're here, and that's the example of encouragement that we see. We encourage through giving, giving of our time, our resources, our efforts, our energy, physical exertion for the sake of our brothers. That's exactly what we see here. That's what encouragement is all about. So I want to encourage you to reach out to me if there's something you need help with. If there's a big project at, at your house, um, something you just haven't been able to figure out yet, do yet, reach out. And we've had that happen. 
uh, just recently with a, a home, um, uh, uh, some stuff at a house that that wasn't quite done yet. We had some folks sent out and and it helped uh, finish like a bathroom, stuff like that. That's what we want. That's what the church does. That's what encouragement looks like. So I encourage you to reach out if if you need help there. So that's the second thing. We see encouragement happens through getting together. Secondly, encouragement happens through giving. And then finally, the final thing we're going to see is uh, encouragement happens through corporate gathering. Encouragement happens through corporate gathering. So this is similar to getting together, but I'm talking about the Sunday service. The Sunday service. And that's where we come to the very last section here. We're going to read it again. It says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathering together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. A young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, as he fell, he fell down from this third story. Dude falls out of the window three stories. Uh, taken up dead. When Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is still in him. When Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So, this is a humorous story, sort of a strange story. Paul is is preaching for so long. He starts in the evening, he preaches through to the morning. I mean, talk about a long sermon. That this kid, and they're in the upper room, um, there's, you know, it's probably smoky, it's probably um, warm, and like really kind of muggy-ish, you know, and and thick, the air is thick with warmth. This kid falls asleep and falls out of the the the, the window and dies in the middle of the message, and, and then he is revived uh, by Paul. And I think the moral of the story then for you to remember is that if you fall asleep in church, you could die. Okay? So just really be important and, and take a, a warning here. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That, that's not going to happen. Um, but let it be said that someone did fall asleep in church in our history, and someone did die, and by God's grace they were resurrected. Um, but this is actually, it's it's kind of a funny passage, um, but this is actually a very important passage. This passage is important because this is the first mention in the Bible of the church meeting on the first day of the week. The church, um, it says here, met on the beginning of the week, which is a Sunday. Jewish tradition in the Old Testament has the church, or the, the God's people, meeting on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. Sabbath is the seventh day. So, you know, thousands and thousands of years of meeting on the Sabbath. That's what they did. But now the church is moving from the Sabbath and now starting to meet on Sundays. Sundays, for these people, is a work day. It's our Monday. Okay, so this is not a special day, but they meet on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. It said Jesus resurrected on the third day Christ arose. And so the church begins meeting on Sunday, not Saturday, on Sunday, the first day of the week, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so from from that, just getting that context there, we learn three things and three ways that we encourage each other 
by gathering as a church on Sunday, on uh, the Lord's Day. The first is that we encourage each other through gathering uh, to celebrate Jesus. Our Sunday gatherings are to celebrate Jesus. That, that's, the, that's the undercurrent of everything we do on Sunday, is to celebrate Jesus. This is what it says, Luke 24, 1-3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Sundays are celebrations of the resurrection of Christ. I, I, let me, you probably never thought about that before. But the very act of meeting on Sunday and not Saturday is to point to the fact that we believe that Jesus rose on this day. And so on this day, we are going to gather in his name. It is incredible that these Jews in the book of Acts, all of their traditions, hundreds, thousands of years, Saturday, 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 Jesus resurrected Sunday. They did it for a purpose. And it's something that we don't think about. The resurrection of Jesus, the celebration of Jesus, we're doing it on Sunday to celebrate his death and his resurrection. To celebrate his death and his resurrection. Why then do we do it? Continuing, it says this, Hebrews 10, 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, it, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We gather to encourage each other. We do not neglect that because we are anticipating the return of Jesus. We gather to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We gather to encourage each other for good works in Christ. And we gather to eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. And so this local gathering, this weekly gathering that we have, from it, encouragement flows as we mutually meditate on the finished work of Christ together. That's what it's, that's, the Sunday's all about Jesus. I mean, that's pretty much what I'm, what I'm saying. And it's rooted in the actual events of the text. What that means for us, and this happens, if we gather and never mention the cross, if we gather and never mention the gospel, salvation from sins in the name of Jesus, if we never mention Jesus or casually pay lip service to him at the end of the message and sort of give out a brief call, even though you spent the entire message talking about, you know, how to, how to have your best life now. If, if our gatherings are not rooted on this man, Jesus, then we've missed it. And there's no encouragement at all. There's no true encouragement because we don't have the power for the encouragement. Jesus is the power. Jesus is the reason. We gather, and encouragement flows because of the resurrection of Christ, because of Jesus. So we cannot forsake the corporate gathering. We cannot forsake the corporate gathering. The second thing, and this is an extension of the first thing that we see from the church, not only do they gather on Sundays to celebrate the resurrection, 
But they also, it says, broke bread together. That's communion. They broke bread together. They took communion to celebrate his crucifixion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's an interesting connection here going on. If gathering on Sundays specifically celebrates the resurrection of Christ, then taking communion specifically celebrates the crucifixion of Christ. And so you see how they work together. Whenever we as a church gather on Sundays and take communion, we are we are celebrating the crucifixion and the resurrection, the crucifixion and communion, the resurrection on the Sunday. We are doing that together. And you've probably been doing it your whole life. You didn't even realize it. That is the basis. That is what's undergirding these things that we do. We do them for a reason. We do them for a reason. Paul says that taking communion is a proclamation of the gospel. The bread is the body of Jesus that we are taking in. The juice is the blood of Jesus that we are taking in, representing our belief and our acceptance of Christ. And now Christ is in us, his body and his blood for us. And not just us individually, but we take it together as the church. You can't take it together as the church if you're not actually together. And so there is unity and union and great encouragement to Christ. And so this is why we take it. Again, COVID, extenuating circumstances, but we as a church take it every Sunday. Because that honestly, it's probably the example that we see from the book of Acts. You don't have to do that. But that we want to be a church that gathers in Christ. And so we gather on Sunday for the resurrection. We take communion for the crucifixion. That's the pattern. So we gather on Sundays. We take the communion all for the encouragement of the body. And then finally, they were encouraged through the preaching of the word. And Paul preached a lot. He probably started right at dinner time, and he preached all the way till dawn the next day, probably 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. So much so that this poor kid, Eutychus, falls asleep. Paul keeps going. He's like, I can't, you know, he takes a little break to, to raise the kid from the dead, and he keeps on preaching. He breaks bread. The, the, what's going on here is Paul probably understands he's never going to see these people again. And so he's just wringing himself out of what he has inside of himself for the benefit of this church before he goes to Jerusalem and then finally to Rome. And so if you take all of this together, this, this talk of encouragement, that we encourage, we got to get together to be encouraged, we got to give to get, be encouraged, and we got to gather to be encouraged. What it does, what we see is at the end of it all, through all these various ways that we encourage each other, these various actions we encourage each other by, is we're trying to propel each other closer to Jesus. We're trying to push each other to Christ's likeness. We gather on Sundays to hear the word, to be shaped into the image of Jesus. We gather on Sundays to take communion, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We gather on Sundays to celebrate on the first day the resurrection of Jesus. We give to each other as Christ is given to us. We get together with each other because we know that sanctification, Christ's likeness, happens in the light of fellowship. 
do you see how important this message that we have in Acts, the example from Paul of encouragement is for our holiness and righteousness and godliness in our relationship with Christ. We cannot, we cannot forsake each other and forsake encouragement. And so as we close, as we close, I, I just want to, sort of swerve a little bit looking next Sunday and then how to think about this. I've added those caveats that say this, but there are things going on in the world that are crazy right now. Okay, I'm going to close addressing that. This is a very interesting time to preach this passage. And I don't think it's on accident. One, it's interesting given our situation. Two, it's interesting because we're getting together next Sunday. Let me just encourage you again. We are known to be God's people by our gathering together. It is the gathering of God's people that is central to its identity. A people gathered in the name of Jesus under the word of Jesus. And it's what sets us apart and marks us off from the rest of the world. This is very important. And so based on the text here, I want to encourage you to gather with God's people again. Now, you need to make the best decision for your family. We, as a church, are following all the state guidelines. There's specific guidelines for religious gatherings, uh, an actual document that I have received from th- the state. We also fall under another guidelines for um, um, community buildings, because since we rent one, we are following all those guidelines. Social distancing, not going to have food. I put a video up about it on our Facebook page. No food. We're going to have masks, well ventilated, no children's church, the whole nine yards. So so we're doing everything that we need to do to for you, for anyone that comes. So you need to make the decision what's best for your family. And I trust you to do that. But let me just explain the cost of not gathering. Forsaking the gathering, again, leads to isolation, leads to stagnation, and ultimately can lead to alienation, which can lead you and discourage you away from Christ-likeness. That, that's just what we see in Scripture. We are still going to do online, um, Facebook Live. We're going to do all of that. But I want to encourage you to really think through these things, pray through these things, consider what it means for you, consider what we see in the text, and make the right decision. You don't need to be, don't feel pressured into anything. Don't feel like um, like you have to come. You just need to pray. Pray and ask God to help you understand and think through these things. My family, uh, there's a there's extra risk for younger kids, kids under one. We have a baby under one. We're going to take some time. I'm going to be there. Hannah and the kids are going to hold off a little bit, okay? So I just want you you to know that. Um, but but I just, we have to to see the importance of God's people being God's people and, and, and do the best we can to value that above all things. And so so to close, I want you to think through these things biblically. I want you to think through these things um, logically. I want you to uh, think through these things as best you can to make the best decision. And above all, beyond you know whether you come or whether you don't come, I just want you to value the people of God. I want you to value the getting together with the church. I want to you for you to value the encouragement that comes from us being real with each other and the life 
giving breath of fresh air that God breathes into us as we gather on Sundays and as we gather as God's people and as we are real with each other and as we serve with each other. I want you to long for that. I want you to, to think, I'm missing something. That sounds great. Why am I missing that? What do I need to do? Or where do I need to go? I, I want you to taste and see that not only is the Lord is good, but his people is, are good. And his, his people underneath his word is good. And I know, I know we all long for that. I long for that to see you again. I'm, I'm excited about next Sunday. Um, and so as we close in prayer now, I'm just going to ask God that he would just give us wisdom to think through these things and encourage us to, um, to live for his, his son and in the power of, of the name of Christ. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you um, for your 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 word that just sets us straight um, on this this idea of encouragement. Um, it is um, something often overlooked, something I haven't really thought much about, and it, I just see how huge it is and how we are starved for it. And we are doing the best we can given our circumstances, Lord, but we know that there is no replacement for the gathering and getting together of your people. And so I pray that um, this would all be gone, 100% gone soon. Um, in, the, in the meantime, help us to get back as best we can to gathering in the safest way possible, wherever people are at. And, um, and we know, the final thing, I guess, Help us to actually long for it. Help us to actually want it. Help us to actually pursue it. And then whenever things go back to normal, whatever that looks like, help us to actually do it. <laughs> Gathering, getting together, and giving so that we can encourage each other towards Christ's likeness, Lord. So I love you. I praise you. I, I thank you for everyone um, who is listening and watching. Uh, bless our homes, our families, our days. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.